Let's pray together. Lord, thank You again for today. Thank You for our time so far. And now, once again, as we open Your Word, Lord, we recognize that uh, it's Your Word and it is truth. And You say in uh, 1 Timothy that the church is rooted and grounded in truth. So, Lord, uh, we acknowledge that. We submit to it. We love it. And uh, we ask You now, uh, through Your Spirit, to uh, not only help us to understand it, but then to bring the application and then once again in our obedience in the Spirit, Lord, that we would be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus, ultimately for Your glory and the furtherance of Your kingdom. So, so Lord, we uh, help you, ask You now to help us focus and really, Lord, um, to honor You by honoring Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, so if you've been with us, can't believe it's the end of summer already, right? And we've been on a journey together about one-anothering one another, right? Andy Stanley's quote, the primary activity of the church was one-anothering one another, right? From the birth of the church all the way up until today, we are called to one another, one another. And we have spent uh, several weeks, and we're going to move into the fall, continuing to examine, well, what does that mean? What does that really mean? And, and we're moving slowly because this is, this is a paradigm shift for a lot of us, right, who maybe have grown up going to church and maybe you've sort of limited your definition of active participation to, you know, the biggies. I attend, I give, and I serve, right? And then nothing wrong with those. Great. If you're doing that, keep doing that, please. But one anothering we're seeing is, is really much deeper than these activities that we tend to just sort of define as, well, yeah, I'm not getting into church. I attend, I give, and I serve. Okay. But how do you one another one another? Because here's, here's, here's what I've seen in almost 30 years of ministry. We can attend, we can give, and we can serve, and quite honestly, not one another. Not, one, not truly one another in the sense and the belief, I believe that God calls us to in united in heart and spirit. We're pretty much consumed by a culture that is activity and task driven. And mo- most of us are trying to squeeze in as much as we can, Right? And our to-dos are filled. And so many times now, quite honestly, think about this, we don't have time for relationships. Relationships now have become a hindrance to efficiency. Don't raise your hand. How many of us, I'll raise my hand, find it much more efficient to text rather than call? Thank you for your honesty in the back. I won't say your name. Think about that. That's where we've come. Now, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes, yes, I want to text because I can give out data without, I can't call because this is going to turn into something. (laughs) See, all of you are smiling. You just raised your hands without knowing it, right? Ah, every time I call, they're just going to want to say hi. They're going to ask me how I'm doing. They want to chat. And it's so much simpler just to say, meet you at five. Kink, send. 
And then what happens, right? Send, and I just get to go to the next. And I get to go to the next. And I get to go to the next. And so if we're not careful, this sort of like relationships bug me mentality, relationships slow me down, relationships impede upon my effectiveness and my efficiency to accomplish my daily tasks. If we're not careful, we have brought that into the church. We have brought that into the church. And now technology, which was supposed to what? Help us be. And like technologies was supposed to actually free us up for relationships. Wasn't that the whole like, hey, you get this, you'll be more effective, more efficient, you'll just have more free time. But what did we do? We filled up our free time with more stuff, and now many of us are shackled to technology, and we're now actually using technology to avoid relationships. We don't have time to talk anymore. We don't have time to talk. It used to be emails. Right? There's already been a shift. We, and then, how many find emails take forever now? <laughs> I gotta look, I gotta sign in, I gotta look for their email address, and now I have to write it kind of conversational. Hi, hope your week's going well. You, you just can't get to the point because then you almost seem rude in an email, right? So I'm like, texting. Yes. Okay, now, and it's not even just texting, it's emojis. I'm going to be honest, right? Shortcuts, right? This is my favorite one. <laughs> this covers a myriad. Pastor Richie read it, and he likes what I wrote. I'm just sending thumbs up all over the place, because now I don't even have time to write ten words. Right? And, and we bring this in. We've brought this in. And so now we spend a, a summer of one another's, one anothering. Whoo! Not only does it, does it conflict with how we typically live, probably many of us, Monday through Saturday, it affects how we view church. It, ah, I go to church and I leave, and now, you know, now I'm supposed to one another. I can barely take care of myself. Now I'm supposed to want another someone else, right? This is a lot. That's why, we're, that's why we're camping here. Because the testimony of the church was really out of what? The one anothering. Jesus says, how you love one another is a testimony to the world, right? By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. How you love one another. Believe it or not, the community is watching Believe it or not, there are visitors here pretty much every Sunday morning. Never been here before. And long before the worship team takes the stage, long before I come up 30 minutes into this, who have they been watching and listening to? So just take a moment and go like this to everyone around you. Because <laughs> they've been listening to you for quite a while. Right? And that's one of the beautiful testimonies in eight years as a church family together. We have had uh, people repeatedly say, visitors say, man, you guys are so loving. You guys are, you guys are so kind. You guys really care. You guys are so welcoming. They're not talking about me or even the worship team. They're talking about you who minister pretty much from 8 o'clock on to one another this morning. The early, early birds arrive here about 7.30 or 8 o'clock to get it all going up and, and ready for everyone else at 10. And there's a lot of one anothering 
in that. But we, we have made it a point to be very intentional about the relational aspect of the church. Understanding that's challenging, right? That's challenging. Uh, the word one another, right, in many of these verses we've been looking at, in English it's one another. It's, we consider it two words. Actually, in the original language, it's just one word. Alelum. It's one word, right? And, and we saw, if you, any of you watching the, the um, Little League World Series, the first time I saw Hawaii, uh, on the back of the Hawaii uh, athletes' jersey, the first game I saw, they, instead of their last names, they had this put up there, right? We is greater than me. That was on the back of their jerseys. I'm like, that is awesome. That is awesome. It's not about me. No one's trying to be a star on the Hawaii team. They're playing for the championship today. We is greater than me. And I'm like, that should be the church. That should be us. We should be like, we is greater than me, right? Versus sometimes how we slide into, I hope I get a good message. I hope I get good worship. I hope I, 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 I. No. When you are put into the church, the we is now greater than me. And in fact, what I do can either help or hinder the greater we. But at the core, at the core, if we, and many of you have, and I, and I celebrate this, I've heard wonderful stories this summer from many of you, and I want to affirm you and thank you that you have really uh, been obedient to the Lord in the we. And, and so thank you. Uh, and it's been challenging. Some of you are stepping out of your comfort zones to we, right? To we. And this word one another really has this sort of reciprocal, mutual definition. When you say we want another, there's a, there's a relational, there's an exchange that happens. And that's where it gets a little bit unnerving, a little bit uncomfortable. Because it's much easier to serve without, I'm going to serve you, but I don't want anything back. You don't have to do anything. I, I don't want the relationship, I just want to serve. I just want to give. I just want to attend. This idea of one another as a mutual exchange, a relational component, that's time-consuming and can be messy, right? Because as you get to know one another and you get to these levels of, of freedom of sharing your lives, suddenly when you ask someone, hey, how's it going? And they actually say, not so good. You kind of say, Wait, stick to the script. Just say fine, because I've got to ask other people. Right? Stick to the script. And someone says not, you know, and I mean, I'm around so many people, but sometimes they'll say, how's it going? And they say, not so good. And, and inwardly, I'm already, I've already, before they even answer, I'm already shifting to say hi and shake someone else's hand. And then they say, not so good. And I have to consciously stop. I have to consciously stop and say, wait, 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 wait. This person is one anothering. They're, they're taking a risk by saying not so good. That's a huge risk for many of you. To actually come to a Sunday, someone asks how you're doing, and to say the words not so good, even though it's actually terrible and not so good is actually still making it sound better than it is. You say, not so good, and we have to consciously choose. If we're going to choose one another, do this. Okay, so what, what's, what's going on? That shift right there is what we're talking about. 
Because I can shake hands and I can really look people in the eye and say, how you doing, how you doing, how you doing? And I'm not really one anothering. I'm just being courteous. I'm just being courteous. Right? And this is where we're talking about this idea of one anothering. We have church baggage, good and bad, and we have this culture where we just want to shoot emojis and shortcuts and texts. And now we're supposed to one another. And it's supposed to be mutual. It's supposed to be mutual. And that can be rather risky. It can be risky. Because then you're exposed. You're exposed. I, I learned a wonderful lesson this summer. Uh, as we've, I've gotten to know many of you one another. And so I find out that uh, Raymond plays tennis. And we start chatting, and I'm like, ah, I played. I used to play. I never had lessons, but yeah, I can whack the ball. He's like, well, come on out to Libby. I play with some friends. I'm like, rope, rope. <laughs> we just went from casual conversation to an in, in, to an invite to play at Libby in public <laughs> with his friends. I'm like, oh man. And I'm like, okay, sure. So we set it up a couple was a month over a month ago, almost two months, and I go out the first time, and I'm all nervous, right? Because we're gonna play tennis, and I haven't played tennis like since junior high, high school. Just whacking it. I've always been jungle ball tennis, you know, and never had lessons there or anything. And and I'm so thankful because I'm praying. I'm like, Lord, please don't let this be an embarrassment, you know? All of the stuff that we go through, even in the church, because what are we dealing? We talked about lots of pride just pride. One of the reasons we're so scared to one another, one another, is just, let's just say it, pride. We're scared of what people are going to think about us. We're scared of failure. We're, fear, we're scared of looking silly. We're afraid of saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. So I'm out there and, and I'm like, oh. And I'm so thankful that the first Wednesday we went out there, there was nobody else on the lower court. It was just me and Raymond. I'm like, thank you, Lord. But even then, I'm on it. I mean, I grew up playing different sports, and so I'm very performance-driven. I'm, like, having major performance anxiety because he's about to coach me. And I'm the pastor. <laughs> and I'm on his territory now, right? Sundays, you're on my territory. I'm real confident here because you're, you're on my turf. Now I'm on Raymond's turf. And we start with, you know, he says, hit some. I just started hitting some, and, and, and he is such a gentle, wonderful shepherd, really, out there. And, he, and we spend time, and we shift my grip, and we start hitting, and, and you know, and we're doing all this stuff. And then, you know, I've, I've hated backhands. I've never been a backhand, so he teaches me how to backhand. And then I really hate serving. Anyone? Never been able to learn how to serve. I'm like, Ray, I don't know how to serve. I've never done this before. I lob it. <laughs> right? That looks really good, right? like, oh, right? So he teaches me how to serve, right? And so, wonderful time. Thank you, right? For about an hour. And at the end, we're just hitting back and forth. I'm like, oh, I can do this. So a few weeks go by and we chat again here. He's like, when are you going to come again? I'm like, oh, I thought it was a one-off. <laughs> <laughs> thought he would forget. So he asked me again. And I'm teaching one anothering. Okay, 
Okay, I really do enjoy your company. This is not. So we go out, and I, I'm, he's coming off work, and I get there before him, and there's people playing on the courts. I'm like, oh. And I go to the one court where nobody is, and I'm like, waiting. I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit here and kind of reserve the empty court. Ray shows up on his bike and goes to the court where two people are playing. He's like, maybe, maybe he didn't see me. Maybe he didn't see me. So I, I mosey on over. I'm like, hey, Ray. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? Uh, we're going to hit with them. I'm like, Ray. Ray. I've been watching them, Ray. So we play doubles. And this is what this dear brother does to me. I'm not even on his team. He goes with the stronger. Don't tell me. I, you didn't, I knew what you did. He went with the stronger of the two. And he put me, and I'm like, so now I'm like redlining anxiety because I have this person I've never met before. I'm like, I really don't know how to play. And I'm like, this, I'm like oh, Ray, Ray. And, and I'm, you know, we managed a couple off of Ray and the better player. Thanks, Ray. You know, and, and all of this stuff. And, 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 and I was just working through this. And I think, wait, I think this is the church. I think, I think we get called to participate in something that we kind of know about, maybe have, have played around with, maybe know some, some things like, you know, jungle ball tennis, maybe jungle ball church. You kind of just know how to kind of just do it, right? But you never had lessons. You never had anyone in the church show you how to do it, right? And then you get put in situations where you're uncomfortable. And quite honestly, my, my biggest thing that whole last time we played was the fear of looking like an idiot. Well, thank you, coach. <laughs> Thanks, coach. <laughs> And I realized how many of us, even in the church, live under that fear of looking silly. Fear of messing up. Wanting to apologize, I'm sorry. I really don't know how to do this well. Right? And, and so I want to encourage you in this one anothering. Yeah, it may go back to the basics. You've got to learn your grip. And you may have to uh, honestly find someone who, who is a shepherd, who will, who will meet you where you are, and just gently guide you but there will come a time church and I, and I, I can't not say this there will come a time when we're going to give you the racket and it's going to be your turn it's just going to be your turn there's no way to kind of get around that in the church there's going to be a, where you have to take it right and, and just do your best just do your best in this one anothering because here's the thing tennis is a mutual sport, right? By its very definition, if I'm going to play tennis, it implies that there's somebody on the other side of the net. And we're going to have this give and take, right? We're going to, tennis is, is a mutual. There's, it's reciprocal. We're one anothering in tennis. Now, I can go and hit against the wall and practice, right, and get some strokes down, but ultimately, tennis is a one anothering sport. It's designed to be a give and take, whether it's singles or doubles, right? It's kind of like the church. 
We can, some of us, want, we just want to come to the church and hit against the wall. Read my Bible. Do my thing, right? And we get really good against the wall. And then we say, all right, let's go to the court now. And you're like, what? Well, you've been hitting against the wall for 10, 10 years. It's time to get on the court now in the church and go use your gifts and your talents, the things you've been honing for 10 years. Here you go. Deer in the headlights. This is kind of what we're talking about. The church is mutual. It's an exchange. It's designed to have people around you and to hit it. And sometimes you do really well. And sometimes you hit it into the net. Right? And I was challenged mostly by having to overcome fear of judgment, fear of failure, not being perfect. Anyone? Right? Wondering if I hit it into the net. Oh, what's my partner think? Ray's like, yes. And I'm like, all right, thanks, coach. You know, all of these anxieties about not performing well in mutual relationships. We got we to gotta work through that. And that's really the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It really is because many of us have the same anxieties in the church when it comes to one anothering. Because it's risky. You expose yourself. It, there's an exposure. You become vulnerable. You really do. And, and in the end, you find when you have a, a wonderful relationship and those around you who are really for you and affirming you, it's okay. Amen? Around here, hopefully, you will experience grace. You will experience affirmation. You'll also experience correction as you grow. As you grow in using your gifts and talents as unto the Lord. Right? So we get the one anothering. I just want to spend time with that because it's a biggie. Because a lot of us can do church. Like I said, a lot of us can do church without one another. Just like a lot of us can get a lot done in our life without any relationship, real relationship. We're just now in tasking mode. And that's, that's not really God's heart for the church. So we've seen we're to love one another, we're to accept one another, we're to forgive one another. Last two weeks... In Galatians 6, 1 and 2, we talked about bearing one another's burdens, right? And in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, we'll just read that quickly. It says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Really quick, we saw in this carrying one another's burdens, in bearing one another's burdens, Verse 1 and 2 really give a specific application and context and then a broader one. Verse 1, and many of us were challenged two weeks ago, right? It says, brothers and sisters, not pastors and elders. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to the church as a whole. And he says, one aspect of carrying each other's burdens is when a brother and sister is caught in a sin is overcome, trapped in a sin, has this moment of brokenness, and just is like, oh, oh. It is our mutual responsibility to restore gently that brother or sister. That's not my responsibility alone. He's talking, he says the first, two words, first three words, brothers and sisters. So right away you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought that's why we paid you. Right? And somehow the church is like the... The, the spiritual police and, and like, oh, we got to go tell Pastor Richie. Oh, you know, now, you're, now you feel like you're tattletailing on each other. No. 
Apostle Paul says, brothers and sisters, if one of your brothers and sisters is overtaken in a sin, we've talked about this, isn't deliberate, willful, hardened heart. This is someone who just has one of those Peter moments. I can't believe I did that. Oh, and they're broken and they're contrite and they're repentant. It is our responsibility to come alongside them to what? Restore them gently this way, vertically. We talked about that word is restore a set, a broken bone, restore it gently, right? And then it said in verse 2, it says, but watch, it says, says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Last week we, we talked about this. This is a broader application. Carry each other's burdens. And this context we talked about last week really focused on not so much our willingness to help someone move or donate or whatever. What we're reading, we talked about last Sunday was how challenging it is for us to ask for help. See, the implication is, if I'm supposed to carry Bill's burdens, the implication is that Bill's supposed to let me. And actually, Bill's supposed to let me know he has a burden to carry. And if you're here last Sunday, we waited down Shiloh with a 25-pound weight vest, right? But every time we added weight, she kept saying, I'm good, I got it, right? Don't want to be a burden. And so for many of us, if you didn't listen to it last week's message, I encourage you because for many in the church, the challenge isn't wanting to serve and actually being available. The real challenge for us is opening ourselves up to asking for help. To literally just saying, hey, you have some time. This is what's going on. I've been carrying a burden. Haven't been able to tell anyone. Why haven't we, we oftentimes, why haven't we been able to tell anyone? Pride. Fear. Oh, I don't want to look like I don't have it all together. I don't want to look like, you know, I'm a failure. I don't want to look weak. I don't want to. It's all about me. It's pride. That really prevents us from saying, can you help me carry this burden? You know? Really, can you? Because I'm done. And this is, this is just draining me spiritually, emotionally. It's affecting my marriage. It's affecting my kids. Oftentimes, when we turn inward and we're just putting out the, the weight of the world on our shoulders and we think we got to do it all and we got to take care of it all, that's when you start to spiral. And that's when you even start to withdraw from the church. The very people that are supposed to help carry your burden, you are so burdened. Think about this. We become so burdened and we decide that we're going to handle our burden that we actually withdraw from the very people who are supposed to what? Carry the burden. Oftentimes, mostly because of pride. Mostly because of fear and pride. And that's something that, you know, I don't take lightly, especially as a guy, you know, speaking maybe more to the men here. We, we're, we're, right? We're raised with these images. We got it. We got it. Right? And, and then, you know, that's why it's challenging. Again, years and years in the church. Why is it challenging for men to come to men's ministry? One of the reasons is because there's this stigma sometimes attached to men's ministry. Almost like it's a support group. Almost like guys who go to men's ministry don't have it all together. That's why they go. That's that Sunday night group. They got problems. 
I'm just being real. A lot of a lot of men will not come to men's groups, will not engage in men's ministry for fear of being perceived that they don't have it all together, that they're they're needy. When the truth is, how many in here are needy? Thank you. We have two hands in the back like this. Right? We talked about that. We talked about it. So I just want to encourage you with this one anothering. There's things we all have to work through, pride. And, and here's the other challenge. The church is made up of imperfect people. I've had, I've had times, just in, not as a pastor, but as a, as a man trying to follow Jesus, where I've actually tried to ask brothers for help, tried to share something in my life. I remember a long time ago in San Diego, I was in a men's group, decided, okay, you all say you're supposed to do this, here we go. And now my heart's beating. And I share something with this group of men. No response. Nada. Even the facilitator of the group was like, okay, so let's go on to the next question. Literally. Because it was like a book study. And it was like, and I'm like, Okay, let me ask you this. Do you think I ever shared anything again in that group? No, I was done. I was done. In fact, I was done for, for my perception of men's groups for quite a while because I was pretty ticked off and hurt and wounded. You know, you all say this and you're supposed to be tight and we're supposed to be bros. Well, bros, I just shared something. So I get that. And I've had to work through that because it's turned into my issue because now it's projecting every men's ministry based on that one bad experience. And I, that, that was my fault. I, I didn't, I didn't want to give other guys the benefit of the doubt, that they wouldn't be like that. But I was wounded. So a lot of us are wounded. So this one anothering, I tried. I tried. I know. It's going to happen because the church is made up of who? Who? Us. So turn to the person next to you and just smile. That's, that's who the church is made up of. Us. Us. Imperfect. Us. Right? So we bear each other's burden. Today, we're going we're gonna to start looking at what it means, another one, admonish one another. So turn in your Bibles a couple books to your right, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at this uh, command to admonish. Interesting word. Admonish one another. So we love, we forgive, we accept, we bear one another's burdens. And verse 16 of Colossians 3 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. The New Living Translation uh, changes admonish to counsel. To counsel. Some say instruct, right? So this word admonish. What does it mean to admonish? And very important, who is he talking to? The church. Again, this, he's not talking to pastors and, and elders. He's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ have a responsibility to admonish one another. To admonish one another. And it's, it's, it's distinct from teaching because you see in, in verse 16, it says teach and admonish. So admonish isn't teaching. It incorporates teaching. But, but admonish. Admonish. What does it mean? 
It means to reprove gently, to caution, to warn or counsel against, to instruct. Right? When we admonish one another, this command to admonish one another has an element of instruction and counseling and teaching, but what's going on is that I see something in Marco's life that concerns me that is not biblical. Okay? I am called to admonish him, to caution, to warn, to gently confront him with the Word of God as a brother in the Lord. Again, right? Immediately. But I thought that's why we pay you. Aren't you supposed to do that in people's lives? Aren't you supposed to, you know? Hello, Marco. Oh, how did he know? Right? That's the classic. Oh, Pastor Richie's calling. Something must be wrong. Right? That, that weird church dynamic. But this word admonish applies to everybody here in everybody's lives. Because, like I said before in the last two weeks, you know what's going on in each other's lives more than me and Bill and Mark and Tyler. You're on Facebook and social media a whole lot more than me. So you really know what's going on in each other's lives. And this verse says, we have a mutual responsibility to one another to instruct, counsel, lovingly confront with the Word of God when we see something that's not biblical in someone's life. That's to admonish one another. That's weighty. And honestly, downright uncomfortable too. So it goes back to, and we're going to talk about what's the right heart. How do you do that, Pastor? What, I mean, gosh, I've never done that before. I'd be scared. My heart's beating already. How do you do that? And we're going to, we're going to look at this. How do you do this? What's the right heart? Here's some other verses. 2 Thessalonians 3. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Very important that verse 15. Do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. So admonishing is not like coming at Mark and say, Dude, really? Really? We're not coming at him like an enemy. Like he's a loser, you know, and he's on the verge of, you know. No, that's not the heart. We don't come at him like an enemy. We warn him as what? Fellow believer. Because as we talked about in Galatians, we come with an art of, uh, a heart of humility knowing I could very well be the one being admonished in the next five minutes. Right? So we don't, admonishment is not coming with criticism and anger and vindictiveness. No, it's, it's a heart of humility and love, right? Not as an enemy. We're not enemies in here. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction or admonition of the Lord. This is a parental responsibility. This is a parental responsibility. Ad, ad, admonition in your house, in your house. The Apostle Paul, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I had never stopped warning or admonishing each of you night and day with tears. 
It's important. It says he admonishes with what? Tears. You see, we often stay around here we're the church family. And we don't, that's not cliche. So here's the thing. If I see Marco caught up in something, either it's blinded or he's being deceived or his heart's not right, and he's going down a path that ultimately could destroy his marriage, his kids, I'm not going to come in clinical and say, Marco, let's talk about this. It's not clinical at that point. Now it's family. And now my heart feels for him and his whole family and all the consequences that may occur. So if necessary, I'm going to be emotionally in your face. And we may cry, and I may raise my voice, and I may lovingly say, Come on, man, what are you doing? Come on, look, here's what the Bible says. Come on, man, God loves you. God has a plan for you. Come on, come on. To admonish one another is to get in there and roll up your sleeves because he's your brother and sister. He's part of your family. And the last thing you want is to see them destroyed. Amen? That is the last thing we want for anybody here. Right? So you're going to get in there. It's not some clinical thing and it's not some finger-wagging thing. No, it's like roll up your sleeves, brother, because I'm here and we're going to do this together. And I, and, and I got to tell you, one of the most grievous, heart-wrenching things in ministry, what I do and what we do to here, right, what we're called to do in this church together is this. Remind, just remember this. The most grievous thing that's going to happen in ministry is when you pour your heart out to someone and you, you see what path they're on and they're making poor decisions and they're just choosing this path and they know the scriptures supposedly and you're trying to share scripture and you're praying with them and you're loving them and you're there for them. You're doing everything in your power and they still choose that path because ultimately we can't control them. Ultimately, we have to trust them to the Lord. Ultimately, we have to say, Lord, I... I've done everything I can. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes you'll, you'll celebrate a victory of confession and repentance and restoration, and other times you're just going to grieve. Your heart's going to be broken. And you just, you're going to weep. You're just going to weep. And you're going to feel helpless. And you're going to wonder, was that worth it? And my encouragement to you in those moments is this. You did what you were called to do according to the Word of God. Amen? If you point them to Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit, you've done all you can. The truth is, in the church, we can't control. I know when you leave here, you're going to do what you're going to do. That's just reality. You don't have to play games about it. Everyone here is going to do what you're going to do. We can point you to Scripture. We can try to encourage you, admonish you that God really does love you and He's not trying to ruin your life. He does have a wonderful plan. But in ministry, there's the heartbreak part. And here's the challenging part I want to encourage you if maybe you're feeling this way. Sometimes it's easy when you're working with people and you're counseling and admonishing and you're pouring out your heart and then your, your heart gets broken. Don't let that jade you. Because sometimes when your heart's broken and you're not getting the response that you think you should get, sometimes you harden your heart to the person or to ever wanting to help anyone else again. 
I tried with so-and-so. That didn't work. Or, if I'm not careful, rather than keeping a soft and sensitive and compassionate heart, suddenly I'm just, I get angry at him. And my loving, familial heart turns into anger and rage at him. And now I don't even want anything to do with him. So you have to guard your own heart as you move into this. That you don't become jaded, you don't become hardened, you don't become angry. You don't become angry, right? So what does it mean to admonish? Jay Adams says this, it's lovingly confronting people out of deep concern in order to help them make those changes that who? God requires. God requires. There's three elements in admonishing that Jay Adams shares, and I think it's really important. One is confrontation. What does that mean? It's not. That is not confrontation. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love from the Scriptures. It's not getting in Marco's face. Well, I think this. This is what I think you should do. And here's my opinion. No. It's speaking the truth in love from the Scriptures with the authority of the Scriptures. Amen? Which requires us to what? Know the Scriptures. So to admonish someone is to lovingly speak the truth. The truth. Okay? Concern. 1 Corinthians 4.14 I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as what? My dear children. Right? So there's concern. We don't come here to shame. We don't come as an enemy. It says we to warn them as what? Our dear children. It's familial. It's familial. That's our heart here as pastors and elders. It's familial. We, we, we see things. We want to speak to you as brothers and sisters. as part of the family of God. It's part of the family of God. And then change. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there's three elements in admonishing. Confrontation, concern, change. We want to see transformation as someone maybe confesses and repents and begins to live, what? In accordance with the truth. Amen? Right? That's, that's the heart of admonition. Right? And we talked about who is supposed to do this? <laughs> it got real quiet right there. Who is supposed to do this? The church. The church. Brothers and sisters are supposed to be doing this to brothers and sisters. Okay? And so you're like, oh, man. Now you understand why we encourage you to read the Bible, come to Tuesday nights, learn your scriptures. There's a reason. The reason you're supposed to know the scriptures is because God wants to use you in each other's lives with the scriptures. Amen? See what admonition is? It's a church that develops a relational culture. Here's the thing. Where it's normative to speak the word of God to each other. It's just normal. It's not what the pastors do. It's not what Bill does on Tuesdays. Everyone here, we have this culture where we just speak. It's a biblical worldview. It's just part of who we are. It just comes out naturally because we're in the word. It's just, and we're speaking it to one another, not in condemnation, just in community. Just in community. Okay, and let's just clear the decks and just say nobody here has it together. You don't come with a haughty, self-righteous attitude. We all understand 
But here, let me, let me make this clear. Because I don't have it all together doesn't mean I still can't share scriptural truth. Now, I've got to check myself. And if I'm living a sinful <laughs> life that's not glorifying to God, yeah, your credibility might be shot. Right? You do have to check yourself. But that's different than feeling like, well, I'm not perfect, therefore I can't say anything. You can go and you can share God's truth. Amen? You can. Okay? Because we're supposed to. All of us. What are some qualifications? So, in case you're wondering, well, I'm not really qualified. Number one, be spiritual. We saw this in Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit... You're going to admonish one another. You got to be spiritual. What does it mean to be spiritual? It means Galatians 5. You're walking in the Spirit. You're bearing the fruit of the Spirit. You're yielded to the Holy Spirit. That's a spiritual person. Okay? Romans 15, 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct or admonish one another. Look at that verse right there. Other qualifications. So Galatians 6, 1 says we're to be spiritual here. Be full of goodness and filled with knowledge. That's to do with your heart and your mind. You want to know if you're qualified to admonish? According to Romans 15, 14, be full of goodness and have knowledge of the Word. You don't need a degree. You don't need to be ordained. Now, some are called to full-time counseling. Some are called to full-time ministry. But what we're seeing in Colossians and even here, this is the church's responsibility. He says, be spiritual Full of goodness, knowledge. Many of you have plenty of knowledge. Many of you have plenty, plenty, plenty of knowledge to be doing this, right? Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. That word richly means to pitch a tent. Let the word of Christ pitch a tent in your heart. Take up residence, right? As you teach and admonish one another, here's the other one, with all wisdom. So, be spiritual, be full of goodness, have knowledge, and have wisdom. What is wisdom? J. Adams says, wisdom is the skillful use of divine truth for God's glory. So, wisdom is really knowing how to apply this. That's wisdom. So, you've got head knowledge, you're learning it. Now, over years of experience in your own life and in helping others, you develop wisdom in how to bring application. That's all it is. Okay, using it correctly. Using it correctly. You see? It doesn't require a seminary degree. We're not talking full-time ordained pastors doing this. He says, hey church, walk in the Spirit, be full of goodness, which is a fruit of the Spirit, have knowledge and wisdom. Now you're qualified to teach and admonish one another. And here's, here's the glorious thing about this. When you choose to do this, right? It kind of goes back to this. Whoa. Some of you are like, whoa. It takes practice. You're not going to get it right the first time. In fact, you may literally double fault the first time you try to lovingly admonish a brother or sister. It may not go well. And I'm just speaking from experience. It takes practice. But are you willing? But are you willing? And the implications are huge. The implications are huge. 
almost 30 years ago. 20, we'll be married, what? 29 years, sorry. 29 years, <laughs> we'll be married 29 years this December. Um, 30 years ago, we were dating. I was at UCLA, she was at San Diego State. I would come down on weekends, she would take me to a Bible study in San Diego. And I was a non-believer, but I was going to this Bible study. And then she would take me to church, and I was kind of seeking, but I, I was not a believer. And our relationship was developing. At a certain point, Christian sisters at the Bible study, not the pastoral staff at the church, Christian sisters, older sisters, saw what was going on in her life and sat her down, unbeknownst to me, and shared with her scriptural truth about being unequally yoked and what they were seeing in this relationship with this guy from L.A. who was coming down every Friday and challenged her, admonished her. She doesn't even know you were admonished. Admonished. 30 years ago. And you know what she did? She broke up with me. Based on the admonition of these sisters who loved her and approached her with care and concern, spoke the truth in love, shared the Bible, and shared what they saw in her life and the concerns they had. She received it and she broke up with me. And I went back to L.A. And I received the Lord on my own in L.A. I have this sneaky, I just, I just had this suspicion that if she would have blown him off, I would have pulled her away from the church as a non-believer. I would never have been confronted with someone who's actually living her faith. I would, I would never have been confronted by someone who was willing to put this relationship on the line for the sake of truth in response to admonition. And I got it. I am thankful for them because I don't think I'd be sitting. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be standing here, and I don't know the condition of my kids and any of that. Because I'm pretty sure I was already pulling her away from that Friday night Bible study because it wasn't my thing. I was going mostly to spend time with her. See, so I just share that story with you because, as uncomfortable as that was for these Christian sisters to speak the truth and love to her. And to confront her with, yeah, you really can't be doing this. And as much as <laughs> I can't even imagine <laughs> what she was thinking when she had to tell me that she could no longer be with me. And yet I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that the church did what the church was supposed to do and admonished her. Admonished her. And we're here today, I believe, in large part because of that admonishment. So you never know. You never know how God's going to use you in somebody's life here to save a whole lot of heartache and a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of destruction simply because you were willing to admonish, to speak the truth in love, to get in the game, to take a risk. Yeah, and they may not like you. They may not like you afterwards. They may not... They may be bitter. They may throw rocks at you. They may say, well, you think you're all that. And who are you? And you don't know. And it's all, You just got to expect it. It doesn't mean you don't go. You just go expecting that. And you weather it in the spirit. But keep your heart tender. Keep your heart tender towards them. I love this verse. And then we'll, we'll close. 2 Corinthians 1.24 says this. Not that we lord it over your faith, 
but we work with you for what? Your joy. Because it is by faith you stand firm. Look at this. When you come to someone in admonition, I'm not coming over to lord it over you like I'm some like hidey, tidy, toity, you know, I got it all together. Peasant. Rise. You know, you, we're not coming to lord it over people and to, no, look what it says. Not that we lord it over you, but we work with you for what? Your joy. You see, I'm coming to Marco not to condemn and, and I'm coming to Marco for his ultimate joy. That's my heart. Marco, if you're right with God, if you get restored with God, I'm coming at you, bro, because I want you to have joy. I want you to have joy. I want that joy of the Lord back in your life that I saw five years ago, two years ago, one month ago. Where's the joy, bro? I'm coming at you because I want joy. Now, what he does with that is what he does with that. He can say, get out of my face. Never call me again. That's okay. I can't control his reaction. I can just control how I come at him. That would be very important. Very important. You cannot control people's reactions. You can control your heart and you can go in the spirit. I'm coming at you for your joy, bro, because I love you. Because I love you. And who's the ultimate example of someone who wasn't received very well? That would be Jesus. Right? I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly was it a woohoo no it was a let's kill him right for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son right so god sends jesus out of love jesus comes to give us abundant life and the crazy thing is he ended up there the message doesn't change the heart behind the reason you're going doesn't change just expect that the world and those who are hardened by sin may not like what you have to say but here's the thing here's the glorious thing you're sharing truth it's god's truth and god's spirit amen there's a freedom in that guys you're going to have to weather the humanness of it the discomfort of it someone you know oh gosh i got unfriended hmm. right they may unfriend you they may not answer your call. But if you went with the right heart, if you went with the right motive, that's all you can do. And you got to res- just leave the results to God. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, wow, you've taught us that we're to admonish one another. And that that's, that's, That's a biggie. That's a biggie. And so we're going to need you, Lord, to really, really teach us and then empower us to walk through this. You say that uh, in order to admonish one another, we should be spiritual, full of goodness, knowledgeable, have wisdom. So, Lord, show us in our own life where, where we may be lacking in that. And then, Lord, it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage. Just like being out on the tennis court when we get exposed to others. And just like when we play tennis and we hit it in the net or we hit it out or we, we kind of do something silly. We're going to have to get over our pride. We're going to have to get over the fear of man.
And we're just going to have to go in the power of the Spirit, trusting you with the results, because this is what you say we're to do in the church. Thank you for the example of Jesus, who came to give us life abundantly and was willing to pay the ultimate price, even with such an incredible message. So Lord, we just take a few moments and just uh, ask you to speak to our hearts about what it means for me personally to be called to admonish one another in the church.